0: might also be some moments where I'm like "Ah, eh, mm," where I'm just like processing thinking if anything that
1: section there we're gonna keep that and then just play that for the whole hour
0: yeah that's
2: it (laughs) that's your original contribution to knowledge (laughs) and I mean you know I'm also neurodivergent so I spend a lot of time like cutting out shit where I forget how to speak (laughs)
1: I can't like listen to actual speech while I'm also like reading or writing or functioning.
0: Yeah. I mean, I I am also the same. And that's why I went between either processing the information from my computer or listening to (laughs) them.
1: Very good multitasking. Yes,
0: multitasking, but only one of them actually gets done at the same time.
2: (laughs) And the same, like, I can't even listen to like, music that has like too many lyrics if it's too wordy then i just get distracted and listen to the to the words but like it just means that my spotify wrapped was just really fucked up because it's just all like brainwave music and like
1: <laughs> is it called that brainwave yeah and know? like
2: i got I really know. into like fantasy gaming soundtracks because mm. like gaming soundtracks the psychology of it's to keep playing the game so
0: it's like oh true maybe
2: this will keep me writing i mean it doesn't work but um
0: <laughs> my partner that. my partner we think he has um adhd as well and he literally works all the time to video game music. And even when we're like in the kitchen, we have to like put dishes away, we'll start just like going dun 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 dun. And we'll just start to like, create a little, like action type sound. Oh, I love that though, that's great. I, when I was
1: writing my dissertation, I definitely listened a lot to Pirates of the Caribbean. Mm. Just sort of like, yeah. God, this is a really cool battle that I'm having against this page. Dun, 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 dun. Yeah, forever and ever. I can't decipher lyrics very well. So when whenever there's like something playing on the radio, I actually have a really shit but time of understanding them. My favorite version of this was when uh, is it TLC Chasing Waterfalls? You know that one? I do, very well. I literally for years thought it was called Don't Go Jason Waterfall and I thought they were talking about this guy called Jason Waterfall. <laughs> Jason, don't you dare. Do not Don't do Jason. Jason, don't don't leave me, Jason. <laughs>
2: There was, um, what was it, Janet Jackson's song. It's like, the lyrics something like Can't Help Loving You or something. But for years, I thought it was like, Get the Rug and Poo. (laughs) (laughs) This can't be it. But I cannot work out what the fuck else it's meant to be. And that's what it will forever be in your brain. Forever be. Forever. Even hearing it now when I'm in my 30s, I'm like, that's that song that talks about shit on a it! Yeah, what's going on in
0: your household
2: like i mean let's not comment on the jackson's household because back step on that comment okay do you want to do the intro or do you want me to do it uh,
1: i'll take it this time because you did it last time right. and um i won't i won't ruin it this time i always ruin every it. Time. every time every time i stumble time. <sighs> it's fine.
2: and then she mocks me for not being able to <clears throat> read and i'm like oh <laughs>
1: Look, your praxis is rubbing off on me. Okay. (laughs) Hello and welcome to Lol My Praxis. Today we are talking with neurodivergent artist, dance maker, performer and researcher extraordinaire, Abby Watson. Mm -hmm. Abby is working on her PhD entitled Disordering Dance at the Royal Conservatoire of Scotland. Bouncing along with jazzy rhythms of helium balloons and space hoppers, (laughs) she strives to challenge exclusive and neuronormative values in dance, as well as celebrate the creative potential of neurodivergent authorship and visibility. In performance, welcome to the podcast, Abby. Hello,
0: hello, hello. Thanks for having me. <laughs> I mean, I hope
2: you liked the intro because you wrote most of it. I stole it from your yeah.
0: website. <laughs> it, was, it was. I was like, yeah, God, this sounds familiar, but it's. I'm buying it. I was actually like, God, that's a really good idea. Actually, putting some of the like aesthetic stuff of my work in terms of like the balloons and shit in the copy. I was like, yes, yeah, fantastic, loved it, great.
1: <laughs> God, I'm so impressive. <laughs>
2: when you have other people like commenting on your work and, I'm, and you're like did I? Mm. <laughs> like, or like when you come back to a piece of something that you've written and you're like
1: huh sounds familiar when you're introduced at a conference on a panel and they're just like oh, I just took this from the internet and you're like oh god what did they find? <laughs> And then at some point, and they're like, and she's currently working on this project. Like, fucking, I'm not, I'm not. Cut it, cut it. I'm not working on that. I lied. I absolutely lied. And I'm not doing that in any shape or form. Please move on.
0: I was going to say, at least they're not like dragging up your Tumblr profile. I just found this on the internet. Is it okay if I just share this? Like,
1: oh (gasps) no, not my really intense drawings. And it's it's also when you ask
2: for a picture, a profile picture or something like that, and you're like, God, I've now got a folder that's entitled Sensible Pictures. Because (laughs) if you go for my social media, it's like me with an animal, me with my mouth open, me obviously absolutely wasted. (laughs) (laughs) At a conference. (laughs) Always at a conference, like absolutely hammered. I don't drink anymore. Like I've been sober for what It's purely, It's purely so she
1: can get more product profile pictures there's no other reason that's the only reason
2: it was a professional decision oh I don't
0: drink either so that's interesting
2: I think it was uh, well for me it wasn't like a problematic thing it was it was more the fact that I would get the worst hangover anxiety like and I would be absolutely deep talk for the beginning of the podcast like I'd be seriously ill and like it became a fear of the anxiety and like I would be so bad when I was hungover that I couldn't even enjoy a drink anymore because I'd be mm. so worried yeah. about the next day even though I knew it was coming and I knew it was the hangover don't miss that because I don't get the fear
0: well your your reason for not drinking is way more I don't know my, my version is just that I can't deal with hangovers <laughs> <laughs> I
1: mean there's two different scales there of the exact yeah, exactly. same position yeah yeah
0: I literally had a hangover one time where I was so so sick and actually I just all the time, actually all my hangovers have always been terrible. And I was like, I'm not, I'm not drinking. Not worth again. It. I'm not drinking again. And then my mates were like, hilarious, Do you wanna to go to a gig? And I was like, Yes. And then they're like, Do you want a pint? And I was like, man, I don't drink anymore. And that was four years ago.
1: Nice. I'm currently sipping on a glass of wine and so I'll regret that but we, we can just
2: be smug tomorrow. But it doesn't stop me from, like, I don't know, being quite hyperactive and just... I, I think, I don't know about you, but I feed into, like, drunk energy and I mm-hmm. always go, like, fucking mental, like, at the same time. Because, <laughs> and they're just like, what is wrong with you? Like, you're more extreme than the drunk people. I'm just like, yeah, it's, just, it's just me.
0: Yeah. Well, I'm just psyched off everybody else's energy. Like, I totally identify with that. Like, I, before COVID, ran a club night and did the whole thing sober from like working from like eight till four in the morning. And I really couldn't care less because man, I just love people's vibes like honestly everybody else because I think because I've got ADHD when when people are drunk and they have like a heightened level of energy I'm like sick everybody's finally at my level (laughs) let's bounce yes let's do the fun stuff yes let's run up and down the street or whatever yes let's make mistakes that we'll regret absolutely
1: (laughs) but now you get to do that without the hangover and that's that's even better yeah
0: exactly
2: you know when there's the whole thing about you know neurodivergence being like a deficit and all that bullshit. But actually, if we think about it in those terms, natural high. Yeah, actually, we have a natural high. So fuck off. Like these people that need alcohol to bring them, themselves up to our level. It's just like, well, who's got Sad the deficit you. now? Neurotypicals. <laughs> <laughs> The Ethics Committee have some concerns regarding grave robbing as a methodology. We like to curate a jenga. our guests.
1: Oh, that's true. You have to guess why it's relevant to your work.
2: Oh my God. Okay. Yeah. And it's very professional and played on the kazoo, which is kind
1: of a little bit broken. It's a bit broken. It was found in a box earlier. This is, The kazoo has been missing for months since I've moved into my house and I just found it in a box.
2: Which is very suspicious behaviour from your partner.
1: He was also called Alex and is very suspicious. He hid my kazoo, I can tell. Okay.
0: (laughs) I mean, I I don't have a scooby, but I was vibing it.
1: That was supposed to be Lionel Richie dancing on the scene. Oh
0: my goodness. Oh, what a feeling.
1: But I'm also tone deaf, so that's probably why it didn't help.
0: Why is that relevant to your research? And I have to guess. Oh no, I have to say, it's my research. Um, <laughs> so I'm a dance artist, I'm a practice researcher. So my, as a dance artist, as a practice researcher, my research involves dance and is very much dance as a form of output as well. So dancing on the ceiling Why would that be relevant? I don't know. We're talking about a glass ceiling that I'm dancing over. and Yeah, fucking smashing that glass ceiling. Yeah, either that or I work with, or at least in in my previous, um, a solo that I made about two years ago, had a lot of balloons in that solo. It was called Ish, hyphen I-S-H. And within that work, I had loads of helium balloons And more often than not, they did in fact end up on the ceiling.
1: You're going really deep into this. It was just yeah, full disclosure. We we chose it because it had the word dancing in it.
0: I'm loving this close
1: reading of art if anything I I wish we'd been that thoughtful (laughs) yeah
0: you can edit it you can delete all this and just be like exactly yeah actually there was a few things that you didn't get
1: like in terms of like being on the ceiling and like the inversion of normative standards for dance and the flaws upon which you danced Mm -hmm. yeah that's what we were going for
0: Absolutely.
2: yeah totally Totally. I mean feel free to cite us if you ever want to use it in a talk or
0: hang on I thought this was unreffable it's true fucked up there And only on this podcast it's unmetable okay
1: no i this could have absolutely zero impact or i'm <laughs> fucking leaving <laughs> <laughs>
2: Enforces structures of heteronormativity. We like to ask people
0: for a boring fact about themselves.
1: Especially because we make you sound so interesting in your actual proper bio. We just like to kind of cut you off at the knees a little yeah, bit. Yeah,
0: just remind everybody that, you know, I'm just our body in the universe, means nothing. I'm gonna die probably in how many years, you know.
1: That kind of thing. I mean, maybe not as morbid, but feel free. <laughs> <laughs> What's your most boring fact? I'm a mortal. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I have I will die. Yep. I have the
2: capacity to at any moment,
1: thanks. Yeah. Drop dead. Thanks.
2: <laughs> Cheers for that. <laughs> and so do you, dear Amy. listeners.
1: The other follow-up question is: Please do introduce yourself through your Tinder bio. This is what you would tell us in order to get us interested in speaking to you at a conference yes. or at the after-conference drinks, at least.
0: So, so my name is Abby abby watson and my tinder bio is that i'm fuck fucked up mate fucked it fucked it, <laughs> fuck it really up. okay great so it's the worst <laughs> um okay i'm i'm abby and uh, my tinder bio is uh, you can swipe left or swipe right I'm dyspraxic so I don't really know the difference
1: (laughs) I love it I also love love the really formal introduction I hope that because the one that you sent through just said swipe right or left but I love the idea that on your tinder bio you're like hi I'm abby (laughs) (laughs) do
0: you know what though like I because I I haven't been on tinder for like four or five years since I've been with my partner but even when I was on tinder like I, I found it so difficult to write a bloody bio to try and make yourself sound like aloof And like, you haven't really thought about it, but you're also really funny. And oh my goodness. So I probably would say, hello there. My name's Abby Watson. Blah, 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 blah. Here's my website. Have a look. You want to go on a date? Get in touch. XOXO. Warm Swift. Check out my recent work. Yes. (laughs) at my recent work, this relationship, which was an absolute dumpster fire. Goodbye.
1: (laughs) 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 Amazing. Well, I mean, like, I, again, like, uh, yeah, I would swipe right, right, because right is the right way. Mm -hmm. That is the right, right. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah, yeah. Cool. yeah.
2: Yeah. I mean, I I also really felt that because I'm the person that had to write on my hands for my driving test which one was left and right. <laughs> i spectacularly failed my first one i mean i took five but um
0: <laughs> wow that was, that was expensive
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah it was awful um but yeah but i spectacularly failed my first one not because i went the wrong way because they're not allowed to get you for that but because the guy was so pissed off that i'd gone the wrong way and i did it multiple times and like but i hadn't like for the first driving test written on my hands 'Cause also I don't know about you, but like when I am stressed, any sort of neurodivergent thing, it just is amplified like times ten. Like Absolutely. if you if you read anything that I've written when I um have been stressed, then I mean, good luck. <laughs> <laughs> so I need to maintain Zen, but then I mean, I've not been diagnosed. I'm I'm desperately trying to get an ADHD diagnosis, yeah. but like I don't do Zen either. So what the
0: fuck am I meant to do? <laughs> Just write on your hands and hope for the best I guess it's always
2: really great when you come in to like lecture or like give a seminar and you have like fuck knows what written all over your hands because you've forgotten
1: <laughs> to be fair though you you do have a tattoo you could just get left and right as an as your next tattoo because I know that you've got the letters that you mix up all the time but yeah
2: my uh, tattoo is um well we're on a podcast but it says um BDPQ just on my wrist Mm -hmm. and so obviously those are the letters that get confused really commonly with dyslexia so it was a bit of like an ownership thing but obviously I, I had this really like deep moment of like you know taking ownership of my neurodivergence blah 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 blah, and then some people like who might be co hosts on this podcast, and other friends would be like, "Oh, is that so? You can read now? Like you can check your wrist?" Read and read. I was like, "Fuck off!" It was a really important moment to me. will The abject. So that's my trauma. Um...
1: <laughs> Thanks for coming on to our Thanks podcast. To our pod- <laughs> Let's talk about me. <laughs> okay. I mean, like to be fair though, the first question we have is also about you, Louise. So yeah, you know, wanna...
2: I mean, it, it is so. I'm also dyspraxic and dyslexic, as I, I think I've mentioned. Is that why I can't dance?
0: Um, <laughs> um, I mean, my my serious answer is that I would question where you're coming from with that statement, because I believe that everybody can dance, and I believe that everybody has the capacity to dance within them. It's just what we understand as dance is what excludes us from understanding that we are dancers. Um, And a lot of the time it is that really like codified, virtuosic, even coordinated idea of that's what a dancer is. But actually, for me, dance is about um, about physical expression and is about, for me, very much physical expression to to music. And I would definitely believe, Louise, that you have the capacity to do that.
1: I mean, I've seen you in a mosh pit. There you go. Mm. It's more when I do
2: musicals that.
0: Um, oh yeah, no, I, I'm with
2: you on that one. Yeah, that um, <laughs> th- there are shows that I've been in that had I not got the part that I got, which obviously was not dancing, I would not have even made it into the show, mm. and uh, yeah. But that's a that thing, though. If like for me, like when I when I've done sort of dance, obviously we established that left and right is an issue, but also I don't remember. It's the short term memory. Oh, right, yeah. so when you're in an audition situation and you're then they're like, All right, we'll run it, we'll run it, we'll run it. And I just don't I just don't know. I just don't remember. And that's the main problem is freezing because I don't remember. Not that
0: mm-hmm. I
2: can't do it. I mean I also can't do it very much because I'm I'm very pointy.
0: <laughs> what you just expressed there is basically the whole reason why I put my PhD into business. Into business.
1: It's the whole reason why I sold out. <laughs> <laughs>
0: because the, the whole kind of onus of my PhD the whole starting point of it was you know how can I as a dyspraxic dyslexic didn't know I had ADHD then how can I as a dyspraxic dyslexic artist make dance because I have been excluded I have since the age of three have tried to go through dance training environments the first thing i ever did like the first kind of extracurricular activity i did was a ballet class when i was three years old and even then i had a major freak out and refused to go on stage um, and obviously, I was three years old. It could have been for any reason. Do you know what I mean? Like, it could have been for any reason.
2: It's always nice to have that story. Like, yeah. this really historical yeah. thing that happened yeah. to me. this would be really great when you go on Britain's Got Talent. Oh, my God. Really-
0: They're all going to be crying for me. It's going to be amazing. <laughs> 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 um, I kind of went off on a bit of a tangent there. But I was saying that that's exactly, like, the whole reason for my PhD is, like, mm-hmm. and for me, I've realized that the thing that's carrying my PhD is very much this dissonance between uh, loving dancing and loving movement and feeling so um, connected to my core self when I'm in movement and when I'm dancing. So there's that side of it, but then there's the other side of the coin, which is that feeling that you've discussed, Louise, just then where you're basically, the the, env- the environment's moving too fast. I'm not picking it up quickly enough. I like doing mm. that in inverted commas. Um, i'm not able to process learn memorize and regurgitate somebody else's choreography which is just arbitrary movements in a sequence really and it's all about the memory it's all just about the memory perform the sequence there's no like inherent logic a lot of the time within mm-hmm. the choreography which makes it hard to remember right so that's the whole reason for my for my practice research for my phd is to interrogate well if not those things that I struggle with in terms of like memory and coordination and structure and whatnot, then what can it be? Um, and also taking an investigation and looking at dance culture, particularly in neuronormative dance culture, with a magnifying glass and just being like, "The fuck is this?" Yeah, what? Yeah, guys, what's happening? <laughs> because, you know, I've, I I never before even this year had the language to talk about like the neuronormativity of mainstream dance right mm-hmm. i was just feeling like in this in-between space between knowing I had potential and at the same time thinking I was incredibly shit
1: (laughs) I mean that sounds like the perfect mixture to start a PhD with let's be honest like
0: it would be really great for that imposter syndrome
1: yeah like that's actually part of my praxis so fuck you (laughs) yeah I mean I don't know anyone who
2: also did their PhD on an area of weakness and childhood trauma definitely
1: not me definitely not which leads us on to the next question, which is basically like, I mean, I think when from reading some of your work earlier, you suggest at some point that, quote, dyslexics are creative because they're compensating. And I just added for something. And like having known Louise for many years, I would say this is unfoundedly true. <laughs> so what are you compensating for?
0: Well, if I'm being perfectly honest, I think I've maybe moved through Thinking about compensation. (laughs) Compensation. Have you been in the neuronormative world your whole life? Are you traumatized as a neurodivergent person in the neuronormative world? Call 0800. Go fuck yourself. (laughs) Anyway, sorry, that was a tangent.
1: Loved it. Please have more. Tangents are great. We like tangents.
0: (laughs) Yes, I went to drama school, by the way. So these frequent, weird outbursts may continue. Um sex, sex, compensating, that's right. And I said that I wouldn't, I don't think I would talk about comp, com. yeah, compens. that's what it brought me to that point. Okay, I'm back, I'm, I'm back on track now. Um, in terms of compensating, because the idea of compensating suggests that you're making up for something and to make up for something suggests that you have something to make up for, which would suggest that there is some sort of deficit or negative connotation which is very much in alignment with the medical model of disability and the medical model of understanding neurodivergence, which is that um, the person that is neurodivergent or disabled is inherently the problem because they are neurodivergent, rather than the social model, which understands uh, disability as a social construct and disability as a condition which occurs when meeting societal made boundaries. Not boundaries, barriers.
1: So compensation is also a social, social construct in that sense. Like
0: mm, yes, exactly, exactly, and that is suggesting that I am yeah making up for some sort of deficit, mm-hmm. and and that's also why within like the neurodiversity literature and neurodiversity discourse, there's a lot of chat as well about coping strategies, mm-hmm. um, which are, which are true, you know, like I do have strategies to cope, like of course, but their strategies. To cope in a very neuro normative and neurotypical centered environment, which is no causation of my own.
1: So it's coping more than like adapting to a normative.
0: That's exactly right. And that is bloody tiring and yeah. really exhausting. So I think within where I'm at currently with my research, I'm not so interested in compensating or so interested in kind of coping strategies, but I'm more interested in the agency and the creativity and imagination are kind of all all the things that I have done throughout my life to compensate and to cope I've been asking a lot what happens if instead of taking that energy and applying it to my own assimilation what happens if I take that energy and I apply it to leaning in a little bit more Mm -hmm. to who I am inherently
1: yeah so making that the methodology instead like yeah so it's like creativity is not a compensative it's actually the way you should be doing it in general yes
0: yeah exactly and it's, and it's a more true expression of who I am and who what my brain is you know yeah so it's also I mean it's something that
2: I've been trying to work through as well like what like how do you research in a way that sort of allows you to work with your neurodivergence and to harness your neurodivergence because I think as well like because we are so trained and I'm really I like, so this is why I love what you're doing so much because you're just being like, right, let's go backwards and work from my position as opposed to where, where I think I need to be. But like mm. having been so trained, especially in the research culture of Neurotypical Academy, mm-hmm. there's almost like a sense of, I'm not sure what my natural process would be now yeah. because I, there's almost a sense of loss. I don't know mm-hmm. if you feel that as well. Like, trying to regain that and then how do you regain something how do you know what it is that you've lost like it's
0: it's yeah I don't know it's I difficult. I completely relate to that and I think that actually my PhD is more than just a kind of big research project or a degree it's very much connected to those incredibly personal investigations and understandings of self and yeah I think a big part of it is questioning or, or trying to get back to uh, who I am, <laughs> you know, who I actually am. And I also think that, from like you know, my working class perspective, you know, like I'm the first person in my family to go to university, um, but uh, definitely the first one to go near a doctorate.
1: I like people to like go near it, like it's a radioactive element. Like, oh, working
0: my working class family are like, oh, 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 oh. six foot back. Um, <laughs> No, I'm
1: just joking Cut my
2: life into pieces This is my Research methodology So you talk about dyspraxicality As mm-hmm. a sort of term that you've come up with What is that? Why, how is that different from yeah. looking at dyspraxia? Like we've been talking about deficits and coping mechanisms But how is dyspraxicality different? What What is that in your practice?
0: Yeah So I, I created this word dyspraxicality to Because itty as kind of a word forming element, etymologically means like the quality or condition. So for me, dyspraxicality is the condition and quality of being dyspraxic. So it kind of has like a twofold purpose. The first one is to bring attention to the holistic aspect. Of, well, the holistic experience of being dyspraxic—the fact that it is within my everyday—it is a condition of being. It is a it is a mode of existence.
1: Yeah, it's your ontology.
0: Yeah, exactly. In the same way that like we can understand autism and Asperger's in that way, like we can understand dyspraxicness in that way, and it and it spreads across behavior, emotions, physical, cognitive. You know, learning, it, it's across all aspects of life. It's not just something that turns up when I go into a classroom and they go, oh, she's got a specific learning difference. You know, like, it it's, it's a part of my being. Specific of a specific
2: learning difference really pisses me off That because that's the term that they use very often in disability forms, specific learning difficulty. And it's just like, but there's so much crossover with all the conditions and the specific is like it's the it's the box thing again sorry and you to can't compartmentalize me. it but
0: they do no
2: exactly so abby could you clarify because i know that we're like oh yay dyspraxia blah blah blah, blah. just what is dyspraxia in the most sort of base terms because it's mis- like people know what dyslexia is
0: oh yeah and they know what ADHD is and they know what autism is but nobody knows what dyspraxia is um i'm kind of a bit sick of i don't mean this in a way to you <laughs> I don't want to fucking define it again. Use Google. Jesus. At the start of every presentation I give, I'm always like, I'm going to have to explain what dyspraxia is again. And it's not because I, yeah, that's not relevant to my PhD. Of course it's relevant to my PhD, but I'm just so sick of giving it all the time, but it needs to be given to every new audience because people just don't know what it is. So um, as we've got a new audience here this evening or whatever time you're listening to this podcast, Um, i'll give you i'll give you it so dyspraxia is a neurodivergent condition that affects um coordination sequencing memory um it used to be known as clumsy child syndrome subtle i know what (laughs) that's a lot to swallow excuse me i know right i know um it also is called developmental coordination disorder so it's it's a neurodivergent condition that I would say, along with dysgraphia, is kind of like and and autism actually is the most kind of physical in terms of like the the facets of the neurology that are manifested in the body. Yeah, dyspraxics are kind of known for clumsiness and difficulty with memory and also socializing socializing as well like social skills. Um, dyspraxia and autism have quite a lot of crossovers. Um, so there may be some difficulties socializing in a neuronormative way
1: is that why you went to drama school
0: (laughs) no I went to drama school because I've got ADHD and I'm a bloody show off (laughs) (laughs) that's that's what dyspraxia is and so dyspraxicality would be um the condition and quality of being dyspraxic in that way Mm -hmm. and as I said it's I, I created that term to encompass all aspects of dyspraxic experience span all the way from physical to cognitive as I said to psychological to emotional um but also for me dyspraxicality I wanted to put that out in the world because it is a very person-centered term it's about the lived experience of being dyspraxic rather than um just the condition itself Mm. um Mm -hmm. Because within the dyspraxia literature, the majority of it, and I think dyspraxic, dyspraxia literature is actually further behind the ADHD literature and discourse, the dyslexic literature and discourse, the autistic learning uh, discourse and um, literature. So for me, it was important to coin this term dyspraxicality. Yeah, for the damn it brain. <laughs> it's not linear, guys, but I'll get there. I'll get there. And it was about the yeah, person centered thing, about it's about lived experience. It's about the lived experience of being dyspraxic, because it's not about the medical the medical focus of dyspraxia, which is saturated in the literature. So and it's also um a native term. I created dyspraxicality as an as a person who is like natively to native in this field. Like my research is all about my dyspraxic lived experience. So yeah, native, I'm going off on one. You need to stop.
1: The only thing here is that you've kind of fucked the whole non refable aspect of this podcast because you've like, you've coined a term and it's really fucking cool. I've said
0: short loads of times.
1: Yeah, Um, no, that's fine. If anything, I would cite that specifically because you said that.
0: (laughs) (laughs) We haven't said cunt yet,
2: which is probably a new record. Oh no, let's get out there, cunt. I'm done. Oh. there is like for me anyway. There, there sometimes there is a funny side to your divergence. Like sometimes you catch yourself just doing shit that you you can you recognize that is just fucking ridiculous. So like I once because we used to be office mates and I once forgot. And ask Alex in all seriousness, like, how do you spell PhD? Um, because I meant the fucking where do the capitals go? But obviously, fucking Dr. Neurotypical <laughs> was like, you don't have to spell PhD. You? <laughs> you just
0: said it. You just you said, said it. it.
2: <laughs> like, what kind of just stupid shit do you catch yourself doing like all the time? Like it is I think sometimes you do have to just like notice it and be like, dickhead.
0: Oh. Absolutely. All the time. You've got you know, and I think that's why when I got diagnosed with dyspraxia when I was seventeen, she literally said she was like, I can tell why you've got a good sense of humour, Abby. Honest to God. Because it's I've just got used to making jokes out of everything. And I don't mean that in a bad way. I don't mean like I'm covering up my trauma with humour. Like I don't mean it like that. Oh
1: like okay.
0: I was gonna say, but I also kinda of mean it like that. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, no, totally. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah so gosh god funny i'm just trying
1: to i mean i mean is your humor more like just because of the condition like is it more slapstick based in terms of people
0: mate absolutely like i and i and also because i'm coming at it from a dance perspective like physical humor is like for me like the what i'm on peak humor what i'm all about peak humor Silly faces weird acts like weird little acting like, honestly, I'm just I'm just a weirdo. I'm just an absolute weirdo. Um, and that happens in my house a lot. And I'm trying to get that out more into the world, my weirdness. <laughs> that was a tangent. I'm trying to think of more specific, specific funny things that I've done. And it's interesting, isn't it? Because when, like, for example, these questions, I would find it so much easier to talk about all the bad shit. Like, mm-hmm. All the fun, funny shit. But, that's not
1: funny, is it? <laughs> yeah, our listeners don't want to hear that. Sorry.
2: <laughs> it is true, though, like because I think that it's also like when it's so part of you. Like I remember that mainly because someone, someone here, ripped me for it for literally for weeks. But like because it's so part of you, like you tend to laugh about it and then kind of continue on. Like you don't; it doesn't necessarily sink in because you're just like,
1: well, that's just how I operate in the world. Mm-hmm. But now here it is, four years later, and you're bringing it up on this podcast, and I feel like, actually, this is an attack.
0: Yeah, to have it been
1: better yeah like have you, do you want to chat, Louise? Do you want us to turn off the podcast? We can have a conversation. I have a list,
2: a list of shit that Alex has done. <laughs> like, <laughs> a list of slights. List of <laughs> during our friendship, she has done this, and I will get her <laughs> back for it. Yeah, no, I'm not organized enough.
0: <laughs> like, oh. I can tell you something that happened quite recently, which is... I mean, it's not that funny, so maybe you'll want to edit it out, but I'll, I'll give it a bash. <laughs> um, if it makes me cry, we'll edit it. It's, it, it's really not that funny. I'll make, okay. <laughs> All right. That's a great way to start a fucking story, isn't it? It's really
1: Yeah, no, I'm excited. Please keep going. We're in. We're in.
0: So um, I thought I'd be dead on my shit this year and also quite... What's the word? A bit posh about it. Do you know what I mean? And um, with my Christmas cards. And uh, I ordered a series of Christmas cards from Papier. I don't know if you've heard of them. Oh yeah, I've heard the fancy, fancy, very fancy. And I thought, why not Christmas one time of the year? That's you know, I'm only going to send like a handful of cards to people that send me them, and I have to send them in re- in reply to be polite. Mm-hmm. So let's do that. Let's get some fancy cards. Um, so I ordered some from Papier, and I was like looking through, and you could kind of get them printed with these. You know, like these we miss. we wish you a Merry Christmas. Love from the Scullion and Watsons and all this kind of stuff. Yeah, so I was on the website and I thought I'd deleted all of the text. I was because what I wanted to do was I wanted to get just plain cards. I just wanted plain mm-hmm. cards. I wanted to I wanted posh cards, but I wanted to write them by hand. And I was dead excited for these cards. And turned up and they're printed with not only one, but two. Of the default personalization of <laughs> one card. So like on the personal belief, it's like love from Merry Christmas, love from Darius, Olive, and Maya. You can tell what kind of people that they're catering for. Right? <laughs> the Darius. Then then there was a whole other family sign-off on the other side. Love John T., Christabel. Christabel. Yes, and- exactly. Exactly. Um <laughs> And I was, like, absolutely raging. And then I even put an angry tweet out there about it. But then I was like, hang on, I think this is my fault. <laughs> I think I sent them to print. I think I delete. I don't think I actually deleted it, and I sent it to print because I just assumed that they'd anyway. So now I've got all these cards that I've got with bloody two family sign offs that aren't even mine. That cost me about twenty quid for bloody fucking eight cards or something. And you, know what? you just send them anyway. Mate, I, I am. I am. I'm like good, good. limited edition, like one off, mistake. <laughs> like this is like struggling with attention to detail in the christmas card
1: you can tell it's from me yes.
0: yeah that's is more personal
2: than it could ever be yeah. like a, i'm sending I you a it. christmas fuck up
1: you're welcome yeah like i love that i would much rather receive that than the kind of like I, I, we've got a bunch of cards coming through the door now because i don't know i guess maybe we're at that age i don't really understand i've never been part of a christmas card family we just don't do it but now we just have these ones that's just sort of like dear alex Merry Christmas from this person. You're like, what was the point? Mm, yeah. Like, why have you sent me this, like, glittery cardboard cutout with literally no personalization?
0: Yeah.
1: Like, either make an effort and put the name of five family members that you don't have.
0: Yes, exactly. <laughs> or exactly. fuck off. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I want a whole made up extended family. Of exactly. Give me a narrative.
2: <laughs> she rolled <aboard>. a <laughs> we invite you to revise and resubmit.
1: Because it seems like some of your work does engage with different types of like objects, mm. right? So you were talking earlier about how one of your pieces-ish used helium balloons and we think as well uh, space hopper dancing right. is uh, one thing we've noted down. So, you know, we've all heard of pole dancing, but can you talk us a little bit through space hopper dancing? Oh
0: yeah, absolutely. It's technique. And I'll also tell you about what it is. It is. Welcome to my tutorial on...
1: I mean, I would pay for a class. I'm not gonna lie. I've always been tempted by the pole dancing one because you apparently have to have an incredible core, and I would love that. But
0: I mean, I've not only core. I've done pole dancing before, and it's friction burns.
1: Oh, oh I know, I don't want that. My
0: God, friction burns in between your legs, right next to your you. Yeah. Don't do it. it I mean, yeah. you can do okay. it if you want, but whatever.
2: And then you have to explain to your partner where the fuck that came from.
0: I'm <laughs> <laughs>
2: the bruising. I'm the bruising. Like, it was for fitness <laughs>
1: <laughs> so you said to me there's less friction issues with space hopper is yes. it like you know?
0: yes even though yes I'm, I'm not gonna go I was gonna talk about the phallic objects on top but maybe I will.
1: I mean you know you can go there if you want <laughs>
0: <laughs> so I'll, I'll start by saying how the space hopper came into being if that's all right it's quite an interesting story from a neurodivergent perspective so I was um on a residency with my producer, whose name's Daisy Douglas, she's great. Whoop, whoop. And uh, shout out, shout out. And um, we were at this kind of old church up in somewhere in Scotland. I can't remember, but it was like converted into a studio. And the bedrooms were like just off the studio. It was so nice. So you literally just would get up in the morning, have some breakfast, go straight into the studio, aka your big living room. It was amazing. And they had all these like interesting vintage objects. Around and um because I have ADHD, I'm like, Ooh, what's this? I want to touch it. Ooh, what does it do? That's interesting. And it was by the end of the day, on like the second day or something, my attention was like so low, like ground zero level of attention. And um, she was trying to talk to me, and I was just not absorbing any of the chat. And I was just like, Yeah, 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 yeah. And she was like, You're not listening. I was like, you're right, I am not listening. But then I went and, uh, in my kind of like impulsive, ooh, let's touch this, went off and grabbed this space hopper. And it was like one of those fringe <laughs> with a face on it, you know, with yeah, the yeah, you know, sticking up kind of thing, and um, started bouncing on it. And then as I'm bouncing on it, I was like, ooh, the clouds are parting in my brain. The sunlight of attention is shining on my face. And then we were just talking and I was understanding and listening and I was like god there's something in this I can actually like fucking listen to you (laughs) and that's when we were like maybe we should start playing with this space hopper and then we ordered some space hoppers and we got really big white ones they were great and that that was it that was the kind of like birth of the space hopper in the work I'd always imagined it just as helium balloons and I guess the fact it also went with the fact that the helium balloons and the space hopper are bodies of air. And mm. um, there's this really personified aspect to the to the space hopper. So the whole reason of it coming into being was how when I'm bouncing on it, I have this focus. And we wanted to use that within the work as a choreographic starting place. So there's a whole series like section in the work where I'm just bouncing in the perimeter of the whole stage in this very methodical rhythm and it's also the kind of meditativeness of the rhythm and the repetition which um my brain loves rhythm loves repetition and it kind of becomes meditative so the audience Mm. are also kind of brought into this shared experience of time and rhythm and like,
1: i mean i'm feeling it now because you're, you're nodding and i just yeah. I noticed that louise and i are both nodding at like, yes, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because it, it's kind of about
0: it's about it's about stimming basically and i didn't have the language then to talk about that because i've only i've been diagnosed as adhd since then um, but stimming which is a practice that involves repetitive movements or repetitive sounds to self-regulate your brain and your body which you know people with ADHD can do um, people with autism spectrum conditions do a lot and other neurodivergent identities as well I'm sure will stim um, and yeah so that I guess that whole section is an ode to stimming and there's this one bit in it where I'm bouncing in the center stage and I'm keeping that rhythm of the midline up and down up and down up and down in the um in the rhythm but my arms are doing different things so there's also for me there was something dramaturgically in that moment about the top half speaking to the bottom half and, you know, maybe there being a difficulty with that or actually maybe I'm really fucking good at that, but in a very specific way. <laughs>
1: like, I just I just try to imagine myself bouncing on a space hopper with no hands and I can just see myself flying yeah. anywhere. And it's like, so that, if anything, that's incredibly impressive.
0: <laughs> yes, the whole, the whole, I mean, like, you can't see, but my, like, my hands were up here and I'm doing all this kind of stuff. That's I should not do visual things. Okay. Describe it. <laughs> um, I kind of put my hands right up in the air and then wait, putting my hands to the side. And I also scoot my hands round in a circle to get more traction. I'm really interested in like, alternative virtu- virtuosity and virtuosity of the body in a way that is alternative to the very Western traditional standards of contemporary dance, which is comes from the... Uh, standards in ballet right um obviously it's different and is a version of it uh, yeah you know what I mean yeah, yeah.
1: um
0: so I'm interested in alternative virtuosities and I did become a space hopper virtuoso <laughs> and that served a very great purpose within ish but in the rest of my dance practice that needs to be on your cv
2: academic cv you know how you have got your list of like practitioner, performer, blah, 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 space hopper virtual, so oh needs to be there.
1: Oh. If anything, that should have been the Tinder bio. Like oh, That's yeah. also pretty great. Like Loves to bounce. I was
0: going to say, there could be something, there's a bit of innuendo there,
1: isn't there? Yeah.
2: That's <laughs> just like, a bit. That's a weird thing with dyspraxia as well, because I know that like, from a sports science perspective, they did experiments with, I don't know why I know this, but I know this. They did experiments with um, dyspraxics and getting them to catch a ball in the experiment. They would just throw a ball and the dyspraxics kind of inevitably weren't very good at catching it Mm. but they had them run and catch the ball while they were running the rate of improvement just shot up so it's a case of like needing like multiple means of stimulation in order to focus which i always thought was really really weird because that like I used to fence and there's a ridiculous statistic about the number of fencers because it's such a fucking weird movement, it's a stupid sport with conditions like dyslexia dyspraxia Um, because you'd think that you'd need good spatial awareness to be a fencer but you didn't. Most of us had no fucking clue
0: Um,
2: but could focus because it was like so many movements
1: So Abby, you've you've done some research with the conservatoire on this, or like you recently found out that there's like a specific sp- percentage of people either diagnosed or seeking to get diagnosed in the conserv? Did I read this wrong? I feel like I've there's like I remember like twelve, thirteen percent or something of oh, students are.
0: Yes, yes. Are you talking about the work I did with Benedict Phillips at the RCA?
1: Yes, yes that's Benedict. it. That's right. The research I did. There yes.
0: you go. The yeah, I mean, I could talk about this forever, but. I'm thinking loads at the moment about about performance training, and because I work in a conservatoire, and I went to a conservatoire, and I was neurodivergent then, and I'm neurodivergent now. You mean it doesn't go away? Uh, oh my God, I know. You can't just train can't that stop. shit. Stop. But I'm, yeah, I'm thinking loads at the moment about neuronormativity in um, training institutions, which goes back to what me and Louise were talking about earlier in terms of neuronormativity in dance. But, um, you know, I, I went to a conservatoire and the majority of support that is given there, it's very much like we're, we're a vocational institution, we have a performance training institution, and they're very like practical, practical, practical. And then they're like, oh, you're, you're neurodivergent. Great. So your support, you'll get extra time in your essays. You can get yellow paper. You can speak to the writing support team. Bye. You're a vocational institution, but for some reason you think that the neurodivergence begins and ends with the academic side of training? Uh okay, well that's pretty not true. Because there are barriers might be experienced within somebody's practice. Like that isn't even mind that isn't even like difficult to perceive or imagine. But then why is there no support, no practical support? for neurodivergent students in this very practical learning environment, where where are the people that are helping the actors learn lines? Or even, like, mark through something at the end of the day to go over it you know a couple of times before coming back into the studio in the next morning because guess what neurodivergent students might need longer and might need to repeat and go over things in a, in a way that their neurotypical peers may not but there's no support there there's nobody on the ground to be like you know let's work this out or there's no support there and there's not even a conversation about that support
2: so it doesn't make sense because you know I mean I to talk about myself again yeah. but like <laughs> you know I whenever I do a show I have to learn my lines pretty much before I turn up at first rehearsal mm-hmm. because I hate reading aloud I can't mm-hmm. like it gives me such fear and then I can't focus but similarly you know from what I can imagine um like it's a conservatory like you talk about learning lines or like Mo- like monologues is a yeah. standard audition practice yeah. but hi- if you're neurodivergent like what the fuck and also things like Shakespeare and sometimes there's issues with hearing the rhythm and um, pentameter and stuff Is like well come on I mean it's, it's different but it, it, it seems to be much further behind once it's not a case of passing exams so like when you become a researcher the support doesn't exist for neurodivergent yeah. people and when you are doing something vocational It doesn't exist because it's a case of well, exams. Exams are the thing. Get your piece of paper, whatever. Like, but it's the fact that we don't think holistically about neurodivergence.
0: Yeah, and that support may need to be subjective for every single student Mm because this is the thing: is like even people with the same diagnoses. You know, we both have diagnoses with dyslexia and dyspraxia, Louise. But that might be completely different to one another even though we share the same diagnosis so it it really the I, th- I think maybe oh god I've kind of forgotten my train of thought damn you brain um I actually feel like we should leave this in because have-
1: yeah no I don't want to edit it out that's that's compensated. yeah
0: it yeah um I, I made a note of something I wanted to say and hopefully I can start to say that and I'll get back to wherever my brain just got off the train um so within practice based environments and as you were saying there's no support in those in those ways you're saying at the at kind of researcher level at phd level and also within practice and all the onus then all the responsibility of those accommodations then puts put onto the student you know and this is why within the last talk that i gave at the conservatoire that i work at i was speaking loads about um the oh God, I was going to say coping strategies. Then no, the strategies just generally that I have taken within my life to meet a neuronormative standard and to exist in a neuronormative enough way that I don't out myself and have to experience the stigma from outing myself. So, um, and the, those things are perfectionism, overwork, and over um, thinking. And mm-hmm. overwork, I think, for neurodivergent people, is it, it, it gets to the point where it's just a given. Because I'm like, of course I need to go I need to go home and read that as you said, Louise. Of course I need to go home and learn all these lines tomorrow like before I even start to go in because I'm not gonna be able to sight read. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. But All that work, all that labor, all that unpaid labor, all that emotional labor, all that brain labor is put on the student. They are the learner in this environment and they should be supported. Is it not in law? you know is it not like something that's legally binding that
1: disabled Oh is? no, i'm pretty sure in fact i think you get extra money if you actually discriminate now that's just how it works with different um funding bodies <laughs> oh, God, don't,
0: don't say that because it sounds so
1: funny <laughs> <laughs> sorry too dark too dark too close to the reality
2: there's a the thing with like overwork as well so like mm-hmm. to bang on about the same example not only have you done the extra prep But you're also, your mind is constantly on guard as well, even during the session that you have prepped for. Because, again, you're saying you don't want to be outed. So there's that emotional labor, even when you've done so much fucking prep, that you're going to fuck up.
1: More often than not, then you know more than other people in that room. Like, I found it interesting because you're talking in your recent work, Abby, about, what is it, the amateur aesthetic? which I think is quite interesting in terms of what you're talking about here in terms of the idea of like perfectionism, which obviously goes hand in hand with a perceived idea of professionalism, yeah. right? So is there something kind of like radical and freeing in that sense of the amateur? Because I lo- like one of the research questions you've got was like, without inherent context, are we just seen as a bit shit? Yeah. Which I love. And I hope if you ever put a funding application, that, that is the number one question you keep in there. I love it. Yes.
0: And it, there's also something there about like, because within a performative context i've been thinking loads about the neuronormative gaze within dance because dance is completely visual it's very visual it's very kinesthetic um and it's all about seeing and what you see so it's about being seen and what is seen but when i come out on a stage my lived experience and disabled lived experience within neuronormative dance which has excluded me from getting training um that cannot be seen my literal I'm not going to say impairment, but conditions and difficulties Mm -hmm. then
1: dispracticality. yeah the
0: dyspracticality exactly you're right that cannot be seen so and I think when I was when I was making ish I had a really difficult time mentally like with my mental health because that was always within my brain when I walked out on stage was You know, do I just look like some amateur who's just wanting to do dance because it feels good? When actually, I know I have talent and I'm a really good dancer, but I haven't been, I haven't allowed, I haven't been allowed to get the training which is validating to dancing bodies. Um, And there's also something there about expectations in the way that it's also about how the audience receive it because yeah say there is someone who does have a, a visible impairment, someone who is a crutch user or or is a wheelchair user or even has a learning disability that is visible um like if I think about Down syndrome, people or dancers with Down syndrome, for example that yeah. can be that can be visible within within um who they are and when when people with visual and visible impairments or or differences come out on stage you're not your expectations. May not be neuronormative or ableist because you're, you're like, oh, right, okay, well, this person's a wheelchair user, so I'm not expecting them to do a triple pirouette, the splits, and leap off stage because they're a wheelchair user. And that would be one unreal, or maybe not unreal, but unfair. Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes, that is my expectation, my baseline. Yeah.
0: Unlikely, yeah. and just, yeah, you wouldn't expect that of them. And that's not a value judgment. That's just literally you wouldn't expect that. But when I walk out on stage, you may expect that of me. You may expect me to perform the consummate dancer. And if I, if I am not then giving that out, what logic does the audience make for why I'm there? blind
1: peer review have you ever had any like heckles i've never had any
0: heckles but i've it's like oh my god you can't dance that's how i imagine they sound oh god i i don't know if i would be able to deal with that what i know because i honestly <laughs> want it turned please. out that's not a fucking plea <laughs> yeah, exactly.
1: Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> call that a fucking pirouette yeah no
2: really
1: <laughs> <laughs> early, <laughs> early at my arse <laughs> Well, because you're talking there a lot about, like, audience expectations. I right? kind of, like, it's in, it's interesting as someone who doesn't work in a kind of a performance space in terms of, like, yeah, I don't, I mean, like, I, have I been heckled in a lecture? Probably. Maybe not enough to hear it.
0: I've been heckled but... in a show before. Um, oh, yeah. Which might, yeah, I, I, maybe is an interesting story, but it was my graduate performance. And that whole thing was basically a one-woman Swan Lake that was a purposeful failure, Um, (laughs) love it so it was very much still this neurodivergent methodology 10 years ago when I was doing this initial work
1: doing it before it was cool and
0: then back in all the way and basically the whole thing as I said was a one woman swan lake and not only was I performing it I was also doing the sound and the lighting from the stage so the whole thing was supposed to be like, yeah, the whole kind of overwork, over-preparation, mm-hmm, over mm-hmm. chaos and off-kilterness and anything could happen. Who fucking knows? Let's just go with it. <laughs> and it was that purposefully. And there was a bit where um, in the show there's like this bucket drop. So if you know that, it's basically a bucket that's like on the ceiling and you can pull it with a mm-hmm. rope and confetti drops out of it. Mm-hmm. And... Within that the moment I get an audience member to come up and pull the pull the string and I'm in this like very grandioso ballerina position, and I get the audience member to pull it and it falls down on me, but you can hear the bucket going Ee-e-e-! and it's like silent and it's a bit awkward and it looks a bit shit and low budget <laughs> and then i start to have a, like a freak out purposefully like in the show where i'm basically saying this isn't beautiful this isn't how i wanted it and i kind of had like a hitty fit from that place of perfectionism all the stuff we were talking about earlier and then basically i do this bit where i'm just crying and wailing really over dramatically which is a motif that happens in the workloads anyway but i was doing that and the guy who'd rigged the bucket drop was in the audience and he had a few drinks. And what's even worse is he was also a student of the same institution. So I was going, it was supposed to be beautiful. And oh God, and, and he's, he starts thinking that I'm being serious. <laughs> and that I'm being honest. And he thinks that I'm just ripping the fuck out of how he's rigged this bucket drop mm-hmm. in front of the whole audience. So he starts shouting at me from the back of the theatre in front of everyone, and that's when my heart was like, dunk, 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 dunk. dunk. I can't remember what I did. Definitely... Meta
1: failure. That's an that's an absolute meta failure. <laughs> I love it.
0: <laughs> I think I just like shouted something back at him, like, "You're a bucket. <laughs> <laughs> You're a fucking bucket, mate." We thought of that. Hmm? Yeah, I can't remember what I said, but I definitely gave him a piece of my mind. <laughs> Yes. We've spoken about being
2: unreferable all the time and so I'd like to ask you about the unpublishable paper that you had published.
0: Oh yeah! Um god that was yonks ago. You have done your research. Ooh. So my whole kind of research practice began with interrogating dyslexia and in writing. So I've kind of gone through d- exploring dyslexia and then dyspraxia, and now I'm interested in my ADHD. So I'm like every little bit. But this was back when I was interested in my dyslexia, and I was working with an academic called Dr. Nim Folb, uh, N I M F O L B, and she ran back at the time ran a completely dyslexic publishing house called RASP, which stands for Rebelling Against Spelling Press. And there's quite a few RASP books out there. It's no longer in uh, working. It's no longer like producing or publishing. It's kind of stopped. But there's still loads of books out there, and I, dec- I definitely recommend it. And I yeah met her, and then we uh, decided to write a unpublishable paper together because we were sick of um, yeah the very neuronormative. Uh, research practices saying this is what a paper needs to be and if you don't fulfill those requirements then your knowledge isn't viable interesting or useful
1: so louise's eyes are just like going so wide right now
0: (laughs) it's not (laughs) practice.
1: calm down
0: <laughs> and yeah we set ourselves a series of tasks to make it unpublishable and one of those tasks is like forever burnt into my memory um because i we always me and nim said that we can't really write to music so she was like great let's write to music but let's write to us one song on repeat so it's also quite torturous let that lean into departure and I was like okay um that sounds good um and it was we ended up writing it to earth wind and fire um I can't remember what song it was
1: oh that's good because it means it hasn't like you know burnt a traumatic rhythm on your brain (laughs) you can't now listen to one of the greatest songs of all time
0: I mean, if I listen to it I might be like cowering in the corner in like (laughs) like, the second bar, (laughs) but um, yeah. And uh, we set ourselves these kind of tasks that were purposefully trying to make us worse writers, or. To kind of challenge our over focus and our like need to assimilate to a non-dyslexic standard um and i can't really remember what any of the other barriers were that we create for ourselves because it was because
1: you broke them down yeah
0: baby <laughs> oh i buried it in the trauma of my mind
1: all that it's it's only those options <laughs> <laughs>
0: quite eCR.
2: We have one final question that we ask everyone. What would you do to unfuck the academy? You could do one thing to unfuck the academy, unfuck sort of research practice, what would it be?
0: Neurodivergent researchers to the front. Like I come forward. I, I really do think that we need a massive shake up with how we understand knowledge. And also how we understand the dissemination of knowledge. Because you know, research is all about disseminating knowledge and getting it out there and kind of sharing the discourse. But it's like, yes, sharing it with who?
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, even just saying that, just that way, disseminating, getting it out there, so fucking masculine, you know. And everyone thought of it that way. It's just like, look at my big research dick. Like, <laughs> it's, it's
2: total dick swinging, like the whole. It thing. all it is. Yeah. Just, Just slapping a dick against the thighs of other researchers. Like,
1: I don't know how dicks work. Just a big old game of soggy biscuit. That's all research is.
0: (laughs) But yeah, I would definitely... Stop that. Stop that, you know? (laughs) Yeah, I would make it that people really think about the way that they... To interrogate who they write for and how they write. Mm. Um, And also the fact of... Yeah, I mean, I'm going to go off on a whole other tangent. But how text-based knowledge is. And I think that's a damn shame because there are so many different sorts of intelligences and there are so many ways to communicate ideas and to communicate concepts and words are only one vessel to communicate ideas. And I feel like there are way more for me, interesting um, methodologies to disseminate meaning and concepts than just writing words on a page in black and white in a, bloody 11 sized font that looks anyway i'm not gonna get into it
1: yeah look at you fucking times new roman Like, shut yeah, up yeah.
0: fuck you don't no care <laughs> but yeah that's that's what i'd do
1: amazing delete times new roman neurodivergency to the front i think that's the way forward yeah too. Yeah,
2: yeah no more writing and academia
1: like no great. more writing that's no just... more text no yes. more books fuck books
0: i want comic book academia this is genuinely what i want is like graphic novel thesis like oh yeah let's do it I think
2: it's happened I think someone did do that yeah
1: but like that those kind of more I don't know again creative methodologies they are always kind of like positioned in literally the creative or performing arts like why can't you have a graphic novel mainstream classics PhD like why can't you have like different forms of output that is not so as you say like text-based boring black and white times new roman like why can't we have different types of output across the disciplines Mm -hmm. not just within that kind of performative creative Mm -hmm. space
0: because isn't that and this is a very simplistic way of putting it but is that not what graphs are for a graph (laughs) not about visualizing data making it clearer to understand with image and space what why don't we just apply that to the rest of the paper anyway i'm gonna start
2: (laughs) No, you're graphs. Like, I mean, graphs, yeah, the way forward, graphs and space offers. Give me one moment in time when I'm racing with destiny. By which I mean, this is a timely contribution to research.
0: Is there anything that you'd want to plug? So if you are a neurodivergent artist who's interested in performance and resides in or is connected to Scotland, I would definitely recommend joining the Scottish Neurodiverse Performance Network or SNPN for short. I'm the founder and chair of that network and we are always, 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 always open to new members. It's a very safe, neurodivergent-led space um, well, yeah, we network. <laughs> we network. We're a network. We are all about connecting and sharing practice and support and solidarity within the performing arts in Scotland. So, yes, do join.
2: And if anyone listening wanted to find your websites, wherever they go?
0: They will go to www.abby, and that's spelled A B Y Watson, W A T S O N, dot co u k. Um, and then if you also are interested in my research, you can check out my blog, which needs updating. So forgive me. But that will www.disorderingdance.com. And yeah, feel free to also get in touch. I'm always up for meeting neurodivergence and chatting about research and brains and dance. So, yeah, give me a holler if that is of interest to you. Thanks very much. Babe. Thanks so much for coming. Awesome.
1: On. Thank you so much. Yeah. We've been Law My Praxis. If you liked what you heard, you can subscribe wherever you download your podcasts, and don't forget to rate and review us on iTunes. A five star output deserves five star rating. No reviewer two comments, please.
2: Shout out to our biggest fan, Dr. Amy Bromley. You can get in touch with us at lawmypraxis at gmail.com or at lawmypraxis on Twitter. Today's episode was brought to you by the letter B, no D, no
1: B, and the number
2: is that a nine or a six?
1: Our shape this week is the space hopper.
2: Remember to tell all your friends with apologies for cross-posting. Please do not reply all. Bye. Coming up on LoL My Praxis.
0: Let's just say that, you know, the satisfaction that you get from giving yourself or somebody else an orgasm is far greater than the satisfaction you will ever achieve from getting funding or even completing a funding application.
2: We're joined by Dr. Sarah Art unfundable but not unfuckable